because that's what people are, right? They come to you with a problem and maybe that problem has a name that like happens to be a diagnosis, but they're still people first. And I think if you can find that element of them, you know, if there's some creatives are in tune with expression and a sense of self. Mm -hmm. And I think it helps them to find that in their patients. And if you can identify what makes that your patient feel like themselves, right? Then I think you're gonna do a better job treating them because your priorities may not be the same as theirs. Welcome back, listeners, to another podcast with Doctors You Create. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Tiffany Penghua, and she's currently uh, an ENT. She's a fellow in neurotology at the University of Pennsylvania. So thanks for being with me today, Tiffany. Thanks a lot for having me, Shiv. So I'm excited today to talk about the intersection of medicine and music because Tiffany has had an experience in both of those worlds. So just tell me kind of uh, about your background and in music and like your journey coming to medicine. Sure. So I'm a Jersey girl, born and raised. Uh, I grew up in Edison, New Jersey, which has an excellent public school music program. Also grew up from in a family that very much values music. So I was started on keyboard at a young age, around the age of four, switched over to piano. I played some violin at one point, eventually transitioned into the band world. It stayed a huge part of my life throughout um, high school and college. My first job was teaching trumpet. But at the same time, you know, I think, like many Asian parents, my mm-hmm. family definitely wanted to push me towards a scientific or medical career. Right. And so I always, you know, felt this kind of, I felt that it was like a battle between the two, like, oh, which one was I going to choose? And in the end, I kind of realized through mentorship on both ends of the spectrum that it doesn't have to be a choice, that I could do both. Yeah, great. Yeah. That's that's kind of the, the place I'm at now. I'm trying to tell tell that to other people and other people interested in medicine also. Yeah. Um, but it's a funny story because Tiffany and I went to the same high school, and I know you <laughs> were very, very involved with the band. That's right. So what was your role there, kind of? <laughs> uh, to to out-nerd them all. Choir <laughs> uh, so president to, what to is it called? The drum, I was a drum major. Drum major, yes. Yeah, I was a drum major for the marching <clears throat> band. Uh, yeah, I mean... You know, I, I can't say that I was alone. There were a lot of band nerds back in our high school. Right. But um, I definitely was very, very into it. So I would play like 7 o'clock in the morning every day, practice until homeroom, come out in study hall. But I played in basically every opportunity we had there. The band director, Andy Dinkola, like set everything up. So we had small ensembles, jazz band, uh, marching band, concert band, every trip, competition, whatever. I was all over it. I think it offered a place to grow and also a community. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. Like an outlet, an expressive outlet. Absolutely. Yeah. And before you said your parents were a big part of like rearing you into medicine, mm-hmm. but where was the point in which, in your education, where you kind of were at a crossroads yourself and you were like, this is what I truly want to do and this is, I also have a passion for it mm-hmm. on top of kind of being guided in this direction? Sure. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think, you know, I ta- when I talk to undergraduate students and medical students about this, I talk about it in a way that it's, it's almost like you're rewriting history, right? Yeah. When the way you answer the question of like, why do you want to be a doctor? Or why are you a doctor? It's something that I think changes and evolves throughout your career. And so I could tell you now, oh yeah, you know, my mom, my mom was a pharmacist. So she worked at Arnold Johnson University Hospital 
in New Brunswick and every year for Take Your Daughter to Work Day, we would like go okay. and you would like participate in all these things. You could go like hang out on the wards, you get like a plastic stethoscope, which now I realize they just put in the contact isolation rooms. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was very yeah. cool at the time. Oh, right, right. And I think that there's experiences like that or at one point my mom actually was a CVS pharmacist and I remember like sitting up on the counter and watching the interactions with patients. So in a way, it's very hard for me to identify a specific moment because it was always there. But in, in that growing up period, yeah. But in different ways, right? Right, exactly. And then, you know, you have moments like at, at one point, you know, I, I went to a seven-year program actually initially mm-hmm. for at, right out of high school. So pretty early on, I knew I wanted to at least embark on a path. And I knew that, you know, whatever you decide, you kind of have opportunities to turn back. But, um, you know, I had some friends who'd been sick or you know, been hospitalized at different times. And when you see people in those kind of positions of vulnerability and you realize what kind of role you can play in the lives of, you know, perfect strangers, I think it's, it's hard not to, it's hard to walk away from that, uh, and not be impacted. Right. Exactly. And want to take part in that caregiver process. Exactly. Totally. And I know you went to uh, Wild Cornell That's right. uh, College of Medicine, and That's right. they have a really great medicine and music program. So That's right. could you talk a little bit more about your kind of involvement in that and how you came to find out that that program even existed and, and what you kind of did there? Yeah, absolutely. So Music and Medicine, uh, it's called the Music and Medicine Initiative. It started up actually like literally, I think, months before I arrived. Oh, wow. It was very new when okay. I started in med school. This was, uh, I guess, 2010. Mm. And there was a small group of students in the year above me who had just begun to meet with a, a few of the professors there. Dr. Dave Shapiro, Dr. Richard Hogan are like really the faculty spearheaders. And they were just contemplating this idea of like kind of what you're saying that doctors like to create and, mm-hmm. and that there's a significant number of doctors and medical students who seek to continue their lives as musicians in their training and beyond. Right. And so when, when, when I first started out, music and medicine was an idea that was, that was just beginning its journey. And it's some, it's something that kind of evolved over time, but I came into medical school. I, I had a much more developed identity as a musician than I'd ever had as a doctor. I'd been teaching since the age of 17. I'd been gigging throughout college. I mean, I spent way more time playing the trumpet than studying during right, college. Yeah. And, and so I saw myself as like a trumpet player first and a medical student second. And as I, you know, you get all these like mixers and orientation types events. Yeah. So it, it came very organically to kind of meet other people okay, okay. who were interested in this sort of thing. And then I became one of the student leaders for the group pretty quickly. Cause I mean, it was like a non-existent group right. essentially. And did you see other kind of moves for Cornell to move in this space of like the medical humanities or involving? Absolutely. Like- oh, absolutely. There's even, there's a lot more than that now. I mean, we, there's that, there's also playing for patients. So we set up time on certain wards once a month to perform and we would invite all the patients to come oh, if they awesome. want and anybody could perform, you know, you just had to sign up and mm-hmm. that was nice. There was a liberal arts journal actually that had started up. I, I can't remember if it was my third or fourth year of medical school, but that's for writers and so I think Cornell is a very is a school that very much embraces the humanities and the doctor and healer as a whole person, awesome. and that those elements of who you are are critical to your ability um, to be an adequate or like fulfilled and happy caretaker. Right, that makes yeah. sense. 
And so was was this involvement in the Music and Medicine Initiative at all related to the research you ended up doing? Because I know after yeah. your medical school, or did it start in medical school? It that started in medical okay. school. So yeah, Music and Medicine, you know, like many things in life, a lot of things come down to money, right? right. Music and Medicine is, is very luckily funded by people who are passionate about this process. So there are a number of philanthropists in New York City and people that have kind of partnered with our faculty to help fund a variety of things. So that that includes coaching. So if there's a medical student at Cornell who wants to seek out a private teacher, there's funding available to help mm. them afford that. But along with that was actually research. So I, did, I was involved with two research projects that dis- distinctly kind of sit at the intersection of music and medicine. And one was actually completely funded by the Music and Medicine Initiative. Oh, awesome. And so that project was the development of an MRI sequence that would allow us to image brass and woodwind players while they're in an MRI machine. Oh, wow, wow, wow. And so that was pretty cool. We, like, got a bunch of professional amateur trumpet players. People, like, were given a plastic mouthpiece, and then we put them in machines and said, okay, play, like, a C scale, play mm. or whatever, mimic these things, and let's see what you're doing, like, inside the oral cavity That's while awesome. you're playing. Yeah. So that was really That's cool. That's like a direct relationship. Yeah. Direct relationship. And also well, the connection between the different thinkers there. So there was a an otolaryngologist who would eventually become my chairman. Oh, wow. Nancy, a neuroradiologist and a, and a physicist. And the three of them kind of all also love music in different ways. And so, you know, there's definitely a passion that comes to Yeah, comes that brings them there. together. And then the other project I've done in music and medicine was uh, was not through the initiative, but I had I was doing a rotation in ENT talking about my love of music mm-hmm. with one of the residents, uh, Gabby Kohlberg, who actually is senior than me in the same field mm. now. But... Um, and he recruited me to this project where we would work on optimizing music enjoyment for cochlear implantees. So people who became deaf and had their hearing restored electronically, they kind of rehabilitate their speech and kind of re-enter the world of hearing. Um, but music is not so good. So can we can we change the music to make that better? Mm, awesome. Yeah. And so I, I assume that you took this like with you and kept thinking about this research as you moved on to your fellowship now. Exactly. And, and so can you tell us a little bit about how that evolved into your interest now and what sure. you're doing now. Sure, absolutely. So, I mean, I think the the biggest constant for my life in music has been teaching. Um, that's the only thing that I've really retained pretty full time. And so one of the things that came to mind as as I was reading more about what kind of work has been done is is that there's, there's been some work out there on music training for cochlear implantees. So meaning, you know, what if, what if we teach them how to do it? Does it make it better? And you know, I think the answer is kind of sometimes mm. we're not sure. Yeah. And so coming into it as somebody, I think that as a, coming into it as somebody who has primarily taught for a long time, I think that I'm bringing a little bit of a different perspective to the field because I think people who've practiced music or, you know, even played at a very serious level, it's still very different than teaching. Right, right. And so my thought is that is twofold. One, you know, it's got to be simple you know, reasonably simple. Mm-hmm. And two, you have to meet people where they are. And so one of the cons- one of the themes that I encountered in interacting with cochlear implantees is that the people who seem to do really well are like super excited about it. Mm. And, it's about know, attitude. I think that yeah. it's about attitude in part. I also think with the right environment, right? Like any yeah, student right. given yeah, the like right like any learning environment. Exactly, yeah. like any learning environment. Yeah. And so 
can we aggregate the right tools and yeah. is there a right moment? There's no question. Like if anybody's ever like watched a child learn to play the piano versus an adult try to play the piano for the first time, right. it's not the same. The exactly. child has an easier time. Yeah. So there's also something that occurs in the brain. And I think there's something that occurs in the brain when you first implant somebody mm-hmm. because they obviously learn at that time. It's like time. a critical period. Exactly. There's a critical period during which I think the brain is what we say most plastic, yeah. most flexible, right. most moldable. So are you now designing kind of like a music therapy paradigm to uh, yeah. test in patients? That's the idea. Okay. So we're going to hopefully be launching this soon. We're in the earliest stages. I just got a promise for funding from the department. And so we're going to offer training um, to basically all comers and we'll compare <laughs> their outcomes between we'll compare the outcomes between people who have just been implanted and people were implanted a long time ago oh, okay. and see how they do exposure to the same music uh the uh, same right the same music tools right right okay, okay same music that education tools cool. yeah cool so yeah. excited to see the outcomes of that work yeah and so i guess uh lastly we'll talk about now that you're now that you can kind of reflect on your path in medicine the journey that you had mm-hmm. and appreciate what creativity and music has done for you throughout that process. What role do you think creativity has in medicine broadly? Uh, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. I think that creativity in medicine brings first and foremost, I think compassion. Mm-hmm. I think that creatives are seeking to find something either within themselves or within others or a little bit of both. You know, I don't think that a musician really ever plays only for themselves even if they're they're doing it as a process of self-discovery yeah even if they don't perform yeah whatever gets sent out kind of into the universe there's a process of discovery that's going on yeah and no matter how you find that whether it's through writing or art you know visual arts or music any other form of creativity dance expression you know, being able to find that within yourself, finding that I think allows you to reach a depth of human connection that's that's like literally unspoken. Right. And I think when you're asking those questions and you're keeping your finger kind of literally on the pulse of like this other side of the human human being or human of of like human nature itself, mm-hmm. I think it makes you a better doctor. I, I mean, maybe people who are like pure athletes who would like. <laughs> be angry at me for saying that yeah, but I don't yeah, yeah. I think that sports are an art too you right know, anything exactly. that is kind of like requires it depends on how you define creativity exactly you know? but anything it, that it can be anything yeah and it can inform and enrich the exactly. care that you provide I guess exactly yeah Thank you for sitting down with me and having this conversation. Of course. Thanks for your time. That was a conversation with musician-physician Dr. Tiffany Penghua. Music for this podcast featured the band Night Float, music from YouTube's audio library, and clips from the Cornell Music and Medicine program. As always, thank you guys for listening. If you liked what you heard, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify for updates. Lastly, is there anyone you want us to talk to? Any subject you want us to delve deeper into? We'd love to hear from you guys for future episodes, so please tweet us at Doctors Create. I'm one of your co-hosts, Shivnan Karni, along with Darlena Liu. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.